0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. I'm Richard Deitch. My producer is Patrick Antonetti, one guest in this podcast, but an excellent one. It is Amanda Gifford. She's a vice president of production for ESPN who oversees the company's college football event productions that essentially means live games. Um, If you've ever wanted to know sort of the importance of college football at ESPN, how game production happens every week in terms of how the announcers are picked and how they end up where they end up, uh, nobody better than Amanda Gifford when it comes to that incredibly important job at ESPN. We, uh, she also has a lot of and a long amount of experience uh, when it comes to audio. And so we also get into ESPN Audio, where she thinks the future of uh, Sports Talk Radio is going. And uh, again, this one of these people who is a vital part of the behind the scenes at ESPN. And so if you're interested in the profession um, where you don't want to be necessarily somebody on camera, but you might want to work in a decision-making capacity, I think you'll find this uh, interesting because Amanda Gifford is somebody who has uh, moved up, I believe, started uh, very early in her career as Colin Coward's producer and then, uh, and then moved, up, uh, moved up the ranks. So Amanda Gifford of ESPN coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right. As I said at the top, uh, Amanda Gifford is a vice president of production for ESPN. The, she'll describe what her job is, but writ large, she oversees the company's college football event productions. It's essentially live games, as well as the XFL project, and we'll see what happens there. She's a long. She's had a long and uh, really impressive career at ESPN, which has in, uh, which has included um, stints in the talent office as well as uh as well as espn audio and a significant player in that space and with that pleased to be joined by amanda gifford welcome to the sports media podcast
2: thank you thank you for having me i appreciate it
1: all right let me just start off uh you know a lot of times if i have like uh joe buck or troy aikman on it's very easy like people know what they do um there's a lot of listeners who will not know what you do. So can you let's just start here. Can you define what your role and responsibilities are at ESPN?
2: Sure. And you're really slumming it with me in comparison to uh, Troy and Joe, right? But no, but no, I digress.
1: I know I feel <laughs> like uh I feel like I'm I'm gonna bring in a lot of people from the 860 area code on this one, Amanda. So I'm happy
2: about <laughs> well hopefully. Um So, as you mentioned, my role is uh, to lead our college football event production space. So, that means oversight of all of our game productions. So, what does that mean on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? Um, Me and as well as our leadership team, and I have to give a shout-out to Brian Yarrow, Nick Rude, and Sean Murphy, who make up our, our core leadership team this year in college football, who have been fabulous Every week, we're looking at crew assignments. You know, what crews are doing which games? Uh, We're talking to our announcers, um, our production staff. You know, how was the game? What were the highlights? uh, What things do we need to troubleshoot? What do we need to know? Um, We do a lot of reviewing game tape. You know, we will send clips around from Saturdays, or, you know, it's not just Saturday anymore. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday games to review to each other. Hey, this is a really good example of this. This was something that we can bring up in our meeting this week that is a learning opportunity. Um, We hold uh, biweekly full production meetings with our producers and directors and all the production teams who work on games. So putting together what the agenda is, what do we need to remind people Um, We also show clips of these meetings. So, you know, something great happened in the Oregon-Washington game. We show it and use it as a a way to teach all the crews of, "Hey, here's a good idea of how to handle something." Um, I pop into some of our weekly production meetings for our game crews. Uh, Yesterday, I was on the production meeting for, you know, Chris and Kirk who are doing the game, uh, you know, Colorado-UCLA this weekend. Just what are we thinking about um, for elements? What are the things that we need to know going into this game? How are we going to handle Dion coming to to Los Angeles? Um, so those type of things during the weekly production meetings for each of our games, you know. And then it's the logistics of staffing, you know, budgets. How are we saving money? How are we how are we innovating? Um, you know, what can we do to uh, enhance our content? Are there things going on in the college football world that we need to cover in games, and how are we doing so? Um, but I think the biggest thing we probably do is just problem solve. You know, what's the issue? How do we solve for it? Uh, who do we need to get involved? Um, and so it's a lot of planning. It's a lot of discussion. It's a lot of talent management. It's a lot of problem solving. Um, you know, and then once the off season comes up, we we dive into where can we improve all of our on air, uh, contracts, who's up, who's, who's, who's not up, uh, what do our game crews look like? Um, so every day is, is different. There is a weekly cadence in this sport, uh, but it, it, it runs a variety of, um, you know, responsibilities throughout the week.
1: That's fascinating. I, I that's a, that's a really interesting, um, explanation. So a couple of things there, you mentioned planning when it comes to the, um, sort of the the you know the number one number two number three teams i would say i would get a sense that like um those are rather obvious like where kirk and chris and holly will be but you have a lot of college football that you place on air and on a week-to-week basis like how is the decision-making process of what broadcast team goes where for the sort of the games that are below let's say your top three or four games
2: Yeah, you would think it's obvious, even for the you know the the top crews, as they say. But even this past weekend, it was Sunday at uh, twelve o'clock that we were still you know moving people around um, amongst everybody uh, based on varying factors. There's a lot of things that go into it that aren't related to you know our particular announcers. Um, We do some games Remy style, meaning the producer and the director are in. A either Bristol, Charlotte, or Orlando control room, and, and the talent are on site. And, you know, our facilities in Bristol can't handle four Remy games at noon, for example. So that's a factor in, okay, well, we have to put these Remy crews at different times throughout the day because of our facilities. We have several of our announcers who are also, um, uh, you know, uh, announcers for NFL teams. Dave Pass, for example, is for the Cardinals. Bob Wischusen does the Jets. Uh, Mark Jones does Sacramento Kings NBA. We've got Beth Moen's doing ESPN NBA. So sometimes where they have to get to on Sunday is also a factor uh, in where we're putting people. Um, So it's it's a big game, a big puzzle game. And typically what we do is we have two meetings a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, look at our schedule. Um, We go into the weekend with a, okay, I think here's the plan. Most of the time, we're pretty set with our plan. However, as we get later into the season, as I'm learning, um, our game selection could be six game six day picks. So we don't know if, if Florida State Clemson's going to be at noon or it's going to be at three thirty, and how does that impact you know where we're sending people? So come Saturday night, we'll have a our complete list of what our games are, what times they are, um, and so then Sunday morning we can just huddle up and say, okay, yep, this is this plan still works, and let's go. Or hey, a you know major team got upset, and you know what, that game isn't as great anymore. So let's look at the games again and where we're sending people, um, and and also college game day location comes into factor too, right? If Kirk and Chris are, or sorry, if Kirk Street is somewhere for college game day, and that's not our game on our air, like this this weekend, for example, you know they will be at Utah um, for the the Oregon Utah game. Well, then he's got to get some play. So a 3.30 game is off the board or noon games off the board for Chris and Kirk. So there's a domino effect from there. So it's it's a big puzzle of how it comes together. It's fascinating. And there's a lot more that goes into it than just you know, where are our top crews going? What's the best game? Um, there's just a lot of behind the scenes things that go on that I don't think people realize. And, and frankly, I didn't realize either until I got into this position.
1: No, I, I, I appreciate that explanation. Um, and I think people, um, I think people will be surprised at how in depth there is one thing about um, your Remy productions before we move on. Um, you know, it's obvious that like the top games are, you're going to staff them with broadcasters and production crew, but at a, there's so many games that ESPN has how what's the decision-making process on your team deciding, okay, for this game, we're going to do it from the Charlotte studio or we're going to do it from Bristol. I get that there are cost considerations and that's the reason you do this, but someone has to ultimately make the decision, right. As to which game um, gets that kind of treatment. How does that happen?
2: Yeah, we kind of, we come into the season with not slots, but, Um, we have five or six truck crews and then we have a few more Remy crews. And so, you know, our truck crews were typically getting the ABC or the ESPN games. So once those are, are determined, then it's, then it's like, okay, what announced team makes sense for this particular game? Again, talking about all the things that go into it um, with location, where they have to go to the next day facilities, so honestly, I mean, are we have I think five or six truck crews, uh, and then the rest are either Remy, so the producer director in Bristol, or they are school control rooms. So that means our our production team actually goes into the ACC, the Big Twelve uh, school control room, and uses that control room as the production facility, or they're packaged. Um, so there are varying levels of, of ways that we produce our games, um, but basically, you know, we have our, our trucks, we have our Remy's, we have our school control rooms, and we have our packagers. Um, and, and really, it, it comes down to our, for our school control rooms, for example, okay, do we have a school control room that can handle football production for this particular game? If the answer is yes, Okay then we'll use it. If the answer is no, then we have to package it or Remy it or or um, you know, produce it another way. So all those things, like I said, go into the into the formula of uh who's going where and how we're how we're producing it.
1: Um this is a big picture question. College football is having a very, very good year viewership wise. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I think the first thing is is probably some of the um big brands of college football are doing really well. You know, Ohio State, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma, Texas, USC, Notre Dame, all the all the a lot of the traditional powers are having really good years. I mean, Deion Sanders cannot be denied uh as a storyline and why there has been such an upswing of, of viewership especially in the Pac-12. Um Every game we've done of his has has performed really well from a ratings perspective. Uh, And and he certainly brought a new element to college football that I think um, expands beyond just the traditional college football fan. And I know as you talk about uh, on your podcast with varying people, live sports. I mean, live sports are tremendous. There's nothing like it. There's drama. There's there's intrigue. Um, So, you know, so far throughout the the season, we were expecting our ratings not to be as great as they are, but midway through the season, we're up year over year, um, you know, pretty, pretty substantially, which is a great place to be on the game side. So, you know, I think it's just a a confluence of factors um, with the big brands doing well. Every conference has a legitimate college football playoff contender halfway through the season. So, there's a lot to uh, a lot to like um, in the college football space right now.
1: So if we were going to look ahead um, in terms of what ideally would be a college football broadcast, let's say three years from now, my sort of off the top of my head thought would be, well, if I'm thinking about sort of what the, N- the NFL offers, um, you know, we'd be thinking about alternative broadcasts. We'd be thinking about using like AI and kind of like next gen kind of stuff where like the real hardcore X's and O's people might have their own broadcast where they can see like all 22 and how things are happening. They obviously still have to be entertaining. So you still want to have good broadcasters and stuff. So again, this is a little bit of a thought experiment, but if I was going to ask you like ideally what a, like a really good college football broadcast would be, let's say 2027, four years from now, what are some of the things that just come off the top of your head?
2: Well, one thing that we went into this season uh, talking about is access. And that's something that we're really pushing uh, with our, our crews this year is, is w- how are we taking the viewers behind the curtain of what happens during a typical college football game? We've had some success with, um, you know, the the pregame speech from Dan Lanning at Oregon was the talk of the, talk of the town for a while there before they played Colorado. Um, and that was great. And that's a great example of access. Uh, But what's the next step of that? I'm not sure if you saw, but Notre Dame released a video um, uh, of uh, post-game of their coordinators talking to uh, Freeman uh, and just what it was like for the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator and what they were saying as the game got close, you know, a few weeks ago. And that was fabulous. So, You know, to me, it would be great to have even more access in in four years. Um, Can we hear the conversations with the coordinators and the head coaches? Can we hear the conversations with the head coach and the players? Could we put a camera on the quarterback in some in some way? Can we mic up the quarterback to hear what he's doing during the game or other key players? So how we push for access, I think, will be interesting and see how that evolves over the next few years. I think technology is always going to be a big part of our college football broadcasts. How are we innovating? I mean, things like the pylon cam, um, you know, the first and ten line. How how are we getting past the chains and the human part of it? Is there any sort of technology of how we and where we spot the ball? Um, camera angles. I really hope that we can continue to push like different camera angles. I saw something the Falcons were doing from an overhead camera that was really cool um, and gives you a completely different vantage point on what you're seeing in a broadcast. So, you know, we've done things like the pylon cam, the ref hat cam, all those sort of things, any place you can put a camera or trying to put a camera, but I feel like the the view of the game hopefully will continue to get even more intricate as we, um, you know, evolve over the next few years. Other things I think about, I know you mentioned the stats and, and the analytics and gambling around college athletics has always been um, something that we don't do in any game broadcast. But as we evolve in that space as well, it'll be interesting to see if there are any innovations or if there are any applications of um, you know uh, stats or uh, things in the analytic gambling type line that come in. Not that I'm pushing for it, um, but I do believe that's an area where you know we'll see how that develops and see how people get uh, comfortable if they do. Um, you know, and, and and if they do, then we'll figure out how to innovate in that space as well. So those are a few ideas I had. I also think like personalizing your view or the way that you're watching, and that's you know, is that possible? We do this command center on the SEC network, if we don't have a game on the SEC network and that's a different camera angle and has all these stats that pop up. Is there are there ways that you can select which camera you want to you want to watch when you're watching a game? Or if you want to listen to the radio broadcast, is there a way to, you know, do that instead of watching the TV broadcast. It'll be interesting to see you know how all this stuff comes to fruition over the next few years. Um certainly is is no shortage of, of ways that we can try to innovate.
0: eBay motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive. That's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: All right, a couple more college football questions. I don't want to get to a little bit of in audio. Sure. Um in 2023, why are there not more women's women who are foot college football opinionists as opposed to simply hosts or sideline reporters?
2: It's funny. I was just wondering that to myself a few days ago. Um and it is an area that I think is interesting to explore the whys and then get to, okay, well, how do we make a push for that? You know, on the NFL side, we have seen people like Mina Kynes who broke into the space and been amazing with with the way that she's um, transformed into an NFL analyst. And But we haven't had the same success on the college football side. Um, you know, it, it's certainly an area where I think we can – Explore. We need people to uh, raise their hands and say, This is an area that, that I'm going to do, I'm interested in. You know, I do believe some of our, our sideline reporters are more than just give me the eyes and the ears of what's happening. They can also, and they do also. Um, weigh in on, okay, this formation, that formation, and sometimes you don't even see it in the broadcast or hear it in the broadcast, like they're telling the producer and talk back and they're helping in that regard. You know, someone like Holly Rowe does this, I know all the time, uh, and she's fabulous at, at, you know, breaking down the football game beyond just here's what's going on, on the sideline. So it's an area that I think we need to look at and figure out how we can grow within that space.
1: Yeah, and by the way, just so the listeners know, I mean, I think if you've ever listened to this podcast, you know anyway, this is not an ESPN Mm -hmm. issue. This is an industry issue, and quite frankly, ESPN um, has far more people, um, far more women that they've actually pushed into the analyst opinion space who are women than any other network. So um, it's an industry issue for certain. Okay, you're you um, have a long history in audio, and I think correct me if I'm wrong. What, what before you moved into this current position, what was your audio title?
2: So I was a vice president of content strategy and audio, fancy way of saying I had the oversight uh, of all of ESPN audio, which included our network um, as well as ESPN New York, ESPN LA content, and. Um, You know, on the T, I also had responsibilities on the TV side. I was part of the Sports Center leadership team and had a few groups on the Sports Center side that reported into me uh, for planning, for guest booking, um, and ultimately worked with a small group of people on content strategy for Sports Center. You know, not the day to day rundown, but hey, how are we handling Tom Brady retiring? Or what are we doing to get ready for the World Series? Like, question bigger questions like that. So I split my time between radio and TV. Sometimes they, um, connected. Sometimes they didn't. I would also be remiss on the audio side if I didn't mention, in addition to the talk network, we did 250 games on ESPN radio, NBA, college football, college basketball, NFL, um, and major league baseball. Uh, so we had a ton of events uh, on the radio side as well.
1: All right. So I'll distill this for the audience and say you had a big ass job in audio, which was my point in that like,
2: <laughs> so you can
1: answer this question. Okay. Um, there's not many people in the space, honestly, who would have more insight than you on this. Um, audio, li- I shouldn't say audio, live radio when it comes to sports is very challenged now, especially nationally for a like an ESPN radio type of network or a Fox Sports radio type of network. In individual cities, particularly ones that still are very hardcore about sports, radio stations can still really, really be strong and make money. Boston, New York, Philly are examples. So I want to ask you um, a broad question. Where do you see sort of this space? um, Not just for ESPN, sort of on a 24-7 national sports network, but for sports talk in the linear audio space right now. So I'm not talking about podcasting. I'm talking about, do you see a future for the way both of us grew up in terms of listening to traditional radio?
2: Yes, because there's no other medium that is immediate and urgent as as audio. If they're breaking news, if there's something going on, you might turn your TV and we could be in a game. And, you know, Giannis just signs an extension and they're not talking about that on ESPN because, or ESPN2 or any of the other networks because there's a game on. But if there's breaking news or if something just happened, the game ended or, oh, my gosh, uh, this person just got fired, whatever it is. There's no other medium um, that on demand can give you what you're looking for in reaction to breaking news. And honestly, that was something that, you know, over the years that we had tried to really um, stress to our production crews on the audio side of just, you need to be the the place that people turn when there's a big event, or the place that people turn when something in sports happens. And so, because of that, I truly believe that yes, there is a place for uh, live radio to exist. It's free. A lot of people are still in their cars, even though it's less than what it was before. Um, and and there's like I said, there's just no other place that has that immediacy and urgency. Uh, when it comes to to breaking breaking sports news
1: okay so if you if you're a believer or if you're buying as they say in terms of live sports radio existing then how important is the on-demand part of the equation in terms of having all this available uh in a podcast or audio form because from what i see again both in canada as well as the u.s this is pretty clear i've seen a lot of stations stations is the wrong term I've seen businesses start to use their live programming really honestly in a way to just create an on-demand network so yes it does give you if you happen to be in the car the live experience but it seems like their business model is to try to make money on the the on-demand so um, while I understand that it also puts them right into the podcasting space which is so crowded and very hard to make money. So I'll I'll get to my question if I figure it out in a second, Amanda, for you. So it like, so then do you have to be in both areas basically to make this successful? Or I don't know, can there still be money to be made in what we think of as traditional linear sports talk radio?
2: We always succumb to the, the idea that you want to be everywhere your listeners are. So if that's live, if that's on demand, if that's you know, some of these other digital places, YouTube, whatever we want to be everywhere that we can possibly be to reach as many people as we can. Um, so, yeah, I, I do believe that it's it's almost the cliche of like you're building the plane and flying at the same time. Yes, you're promoting your live, but you're also promoting your podcast because let's face it, you know, habits change and people can't necessarily listen to, uh, you know, a live show at seven 30 every morning, but maybe they like the personalities. And, and I think that's another thing that's so great about radio is, it's an intimate medium medium people are attracted to the personalities they build a relationship with their hosts and so no matter what time of the day it is, if they can't have that relationship live then hopefully they can have that relationship on demand um so I, I yes I do believe being in as many places as you can without cannibalizing each other is is really smart and in the sales marketplace is different for live audio versus, you know, on demand audio, there's still some catch up on the on demand space, I'm sure they'll get there. But yeah, as you mentioned, it's very crowded. And and I feel like the cost of entry for on demand podcasts, for example, is extremely low, anybody, anybody can do their podcast. So it's, it's really how are you breaking through? How are you how are you to build in those relationships with the audience so no matter what, if they can't catch you live, they do want to catch you on demand or wherever else they can get that audio.
1: All right. Um, you got to probably have to be a little diplomatic here, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Um, in your Literally in your ESPN bio, it says that uh, you worked your way up uh, your career path to have complete oversight of the 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. talk programming lineup, which included Mike and Mike, The Herd with Colin Coward, SVP and Rusillo, and the Dan Lebertard Show with Stu Gatz. You want to know what's all, all those shows have in common. None of them exist at ESPN anymore. Why is that?
2: Oh, every show has its own uh, reason as to why it doesn't exist. But yeah, when you, when you uh, (laughs) read off the shows that we had, um, it is funny, ironic how things change. I think each, each, each show has its own reason. There isn't a overarching, this is why we don't have them anymore. Um, uh, but yeah, that was that was quite the uh, era of, of ESPN Radio, that's for sure.
1: All right, well, dipl- well, well answered diplomatically, Amanda. Um All right, Let, gets me to um, gets me to the talent office, which you um, have some experience in. Um, I, don't, I don't. Were you running it, or were you like sort of adjacent? Like, what was your? How would I title no, Rob, you for that? When
2: I was in the talent office for the two and a half years I was in the talent office, Rob Savinelli was the vice right. president, Rob and Sabinelli. I worked with him. Um I was one of the senior directors, so I reported to Rob at the time and and, you know, worked on I had a specific portfolio of things that were my purview, and then I had a colleague, uh, two other colleagues who had other things that were under their portfolio. So i uh, I had certain sports and platforms that were technically my areas of of uh, negotiation.
1: part of that part of your job responsibility negotiating with agents?
2: um, negotiating with agents, you know, meeting, talking to all these folks, the agents about their talent, uh, what they're doing, uh, what do they want to do? Hey, so you know, this person is really interested in being on Around the Horn, for example. Okay, well, do we see that as a fit? Yes. All right. Well, then let me introduce you to Eric Reitholm and and talk to his crew about how do we make that happen? Um, You know, we look totality in totality at sports at the end of seasons, starting seasons, where our needs, who's up, who's, who's going to return. What does that mean? You know, from a financial standpoint, um, succession planning, that sort of stuff. And and we do a lot of you know, talking to talent, we kind of, when I was in the talent office, we tried to reach out to talent and how's it going? What do you need help with? Just as an independent arm of the company, not necessarily with production. Sometimes it would be easier for them to talk to us than their CP or VP overseeing a specific sport. So it's a wide ranging um, job, but the majority of the responsibilities were negotiating contracts.
1: Okay. This is good. I'm glad um, that's the case. And I thought so. So you're obviously not going to use any specific examples. And I respect that. You're not going to sort of break confidences, but a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are either talent themselves or want to become talent. It's unique to have somebody on your side, uh, the, the, the negotiation side, who's not an agent, but represents the company or the corporation. From your experience, what did what what did agents do that turned out to be successful advocates that, for their clients what did you find where you were like okay this person really has a great sense of what their client wants they have uh the right dollar figure when it comes to what the market should bear at the moment i'm curious from your end like what did you how would you describe someone who successfully made this uh who successfully was an advocate
2: yeah Honestly, and even before I took the job, like you had this big, bad view of what agents were, right? Like they're going to call you and yell at you and my client deserves millions of dollars. And then you get into the, into profession and you start building those relationships. And I was very deliberate when I, when I moved over to the talent office from ESPN radio, which, and I had some experience with some of the agents just given, you know, my purview of, ES, of ESPN radio at the time, um, of building those relationships and realizing that the agents are people too. They have a job to do. And if you understand, like they have a job, you have a job. So how can you figure things out to make everybody happy? Um, And at first I was really concerned about winning every negotiation. Well, I have to have the final say because I'm ESPN and I'm going to win. And I realized real quickly that wasn't a very smart approach. How do we work together with an agent? So they're happy. I'm happy. And the client, you know, the talent is happy. So some of the best agents, and I'm not going to name names, because I'm going to leave someone out inadvertently. But, you know, there are people who are come with a sense of realism. You know, I think this is what my client's worth. I think this is the responsibilities that make sense. You know, what do you think? And how can we work on this together? And at some point, you're like, okay, that's so far from reality. That we need to go down here, here, and here. And they'd say, okay, I get it. And then they'd help manage the messages of the client. Or there are times when the agent will come to us with, here's what I think. And we're like, you know what? We're in the same ballpark. Let's let's be easy, get this deal done, and everybody's good. So um the majority of my time in the talent office, I would say 95, 90 to 95% of my interactions were agents were fantastic. And it really is you know, a good agent is someone who is realistic. Uh, about what their client is doing, about what their client is worth, but also advocates, you know, advocates for the particular client, if there's something that they truly believe could be could be a difference maker. Um, At the end of the day, like I said, they're doing a job, we're doing a job. And you hope that, you know, throughout building the relationships with the same people over and over and over again, whether it's different clients that you realize like, okay, you know what, we're going to work together, we're going to get this done
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Two more for you. Um, I've asked this of talent, of um, management, and of agents. And it's always interesting to me. And the question is, like, is it an adjustment or how much of an adjustment is, particularly at the beginning of this journey, when you're dealing with financial numbers that are so sometimes crazy to like what you grew up with or what's irrelevant. Like like I remember talking to someone who was a talent, I'm going to make sure I sort of say this so I'm not giving anything away, where they were being paid millions of dollars. And it, it was such a surreal experience to sort of hear for this person, the contract numbers because once upon a time, not previously long before that, they were making like $60,000 a year. So I wonder if on your end, um, does it take some getting used to where you're like negotiating and you look down and you're the one on your side offering? I'll just make this up and just throwing it out there. $5 million a year or $3 million a year. Do you know what I mean? Like unless you grew up with that kind of money, it's, it's a lot of money to then become familiar with.
2: Yeah, when I first took the talent office job, um, one of the things that I, I did was just kind of look around and see where people were slotted and, and just to get a sense of, okay, if I'm responsible for these people, what does that pool look like? Who's, who's making what, where, you know, just to have a better understanding. And I think in the beginning, you're like, oh, wow, I didn't expect that, or oh, okay, didn't expect that. Um, But then you just get into autopilot mode and the money is the money and you just, you know, it's something that you don't even, I didn't even think twice about it. Oh yeah, here's a contract for this particular person. We're going to start at 2.1 million. And it, it was more about where that particular talent was slotted and not necessarily the amount of dollars. Um, but when you put it that way, I mean, yeah, I guess it is something that (laughs) it is something that, uh, is a little remarkable and took, took a little bit to get used to, but then once you dive in, you're like, all right, it is what it is.
1: Yeah. Interesting. All right. Last one. Um, this isn't just an ESPN thing, but this would be in, uh, at the top of the CBS sports pyramid at the top of the Fox sports pyramid. Um, you've, you've moved up a lot in your career and you're still young professionally. Do you think by the end of your career, we will see a woman in charge of an ESPN or a CBS sports or a Fox sports as of now, women have ascended to management positions, but unless I'm mistaken, no one has gotten to the Mark Lazarus, Jimmy Pataro, Sean McManus level.
2: A hundred percent. I think we'll see a woman in charge. Um, you know, I started at ESPN, like you mentioned, 19 years ago as an intern with ESPN audio. I was Colin Calvert's producer for five years. Yeah. Uh, that's where, and I, then heard, that's moved where into I first management. heard your name. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Moved into management, moved into the talent office, came back to TV and now, you know, running college football game production. Um, so 100%, I know ESPN, I can't speak to other companies, but ESPN is, is extremely supportive of women and, and diversity within their ranks and I have no doubts that if it's not our company, another company, um, there's so many fabulous woman, women in in production and in sports production that it's just a matter of time before someone ascends to that role. Um, and and I can't wait to see it. It'll be great.
1: Do you want that job one day if it gets offered?
2: I don't know. Uh, if my bosses are listening, absolutely. Uh, but it's a lot of pressure, you know? And uh, I just, honestly, I have... Um, I've been really fortunate to get the jobs that I've gotten and work hard and and try to be the best leader I can be. And so far it has worked out. So I don't want to limit anything. I uh, always tell people I want to keep keep moving up and, you know, work on as many things as I can. I pinch myself every Saturday when I have to tell my uh, 12-year-old, the nine-year-old, "Hey, Mom's got to go watch some college football games, so I'll be back in a little bit." And they come in, they watch with me, and you know what? It's uh, it's tremendous every day. I, I go to work and I just think how lucky I am. So, um, so far, so good, and you know, I just uh, I love what I do.
1: Yeah, nothing better than somebody paying you to watch sports or to travel to watch sports. I agree. With.
2: Hundred percent. Yeah, no, I can't can't
1: beat that. Amanda Gifford is a vice president of production for ESPN. She oversees the company's college football event productions. Um, it's uh, again, it's obviously this podcast is a little inside baseball. Just giving Amanda as a guest, but this would be someone you um, should keep your eye on and pay attention to. Somebody really, really talented at ESPN who's moved up in management and uh, would absolutely not be surprised one day to see her at the top of that food chain. By then, of course, I will be long retired hopefully lying on Beach in Maui. Amanda, um, thank you very much for the time. I wish you the best of luck. College football is a busy, busy job. Um, so I wish you the best as you head forward. And thanks so much today for uh, joining me on the sports
2: media podcast. I appreciate you having me. I'm a, a, a listener to your podcast and the other sports media podcasts across the, uh, the marketplace and honored that you've asked. So thank you for, uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
1: You got it. Thanks, Amanda. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to Amanda Gifford for her time and insight. Head to the archives. There should be some stuff you like. Uh, had ESPN's John Shambi recently on uh, being the voice of the World Series. Doris Burke, also of ESPN, in terms of uh, her ascension, ascension, I should say, to the top chair. The Athletic and TSN's Pierre LeBron, uh, one of the most important hockey insiders out there. Dan Olavsky was a recent guest on this podcast of ESPN. Ian Eagle as well again if you like these uh, kind of conversations please leave us a five-star review and a nice note that's how this podcast continues want to uh if you'll indulge me just give a shout out as well to the year's best uh sports writing 2023 book um that is on amazon and wherever else you get your books i mean a uh, brick and mortar store um again that uh, anthology which i guess edited is out and uh and hopefully you'll appreciate and enjoy it Want to thank Patrick Antonetti for all his hard work. Thanks to everybody at Odyssey for their support. And thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.
0: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.